Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast, hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hello and welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Tai, nutritional therapy practitioner, and I'm here with you recording episode number 87 today. It is a hot, hot, hot day here in the Midwest. I am in Cincinnati, Ohio, more specifically Loveland, Ohio, and it is super hot and muggy and humid, and I'm a total baby, and I don't like it. (laughs) So um, I'm hiding out inside the air conditioning today, recording this episode for you guys, and cannot wait for the cooler weather, which is around the corner. It's kind of bittersweet. Uh, This time of year is probably my least favorite time of year, but it's uh, you know that that hot, oppressive kind of end of summer time, and um, that's definitely where we are. And it's kind of bittersweet because though I don't like this time of year for the weather and all of that, it is kind of sad that it's kind of signaling we're in the last little stretch of summer here. Uh, you know, kids are going back to school in about a month, and it's just we've got our last couple of trips of the year scheduled, and it's just um, about to get back into the school year, which is fine they seem to think when they're off school that i should just um stop working and just be home all day and running them wherever they want to go and doing all that stuff which i do like to take some time off here and there to be with them but oh my goodness it's um it really throws my schedule for a loop these summer summer days do for sure so i guess long story short i'm just looking forward to kind of getting back to the routine that uh, that we're in during the school year it also has me getting up earlier during the school year i'm usually up about 6 30 in the morning and or 6 15 and then in the summer i you know do the more of the sleep in thing so i'm sleeping until like 7 30 or so and that um, I just don't get nearly as much done. It's really crazy how much just getting up like an hour, hour and a half later just um, really sets the tone for my day to just be more chaotic. Like I feel like my days are much more organized and I get so much more done when I get up earlier. Um, but anyway, this episode, I'm going to do a solo sode. Um, I've got some interviews that I'm going to send out for you guys next week and then maybe the following week. Uh, as I am going to be doing a lot of traveling. We've got a family camp we're going to in Michigan. We leave this weekend and we'll be gone all next week. And then we get back and then a couple of days later, we head off for a houseboat trip with uh, some of our extended family from North Carolina and um, our some of our family here, my mother-in-law and father-in-law and um, some cousins and all that. So it's gonna be really fun. We're really looking forward to that. But that is our last big hurrahs of the summer. That's it. And then when we get back from those, it's going to be all about prepping for school. So um, what I want to do with this episode is I actually had a, I had a, a some questions come in. It was questions from one um, person and she is actually a student in my current online um, understanding and optimizing keto classes. 
And she is um, also in school currently and is taking classes that enable her, um, do not able her uh, to be able to be present for the live classes that, that take place from my keto classes there every Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And she is not able to attend those classes live. So what I do is um, after teaching those classes or throughout teaching those classes, I always give the students time to ask any questions that they want. Um, it's kind of a cool hybrid because while I do not have the availability to take on one-on-one -on -one clients right now, um, that my schedule is full with that. Um, this enables the students that are in my class to be able to kind of have this one-on-one <clears throat> -on -one, um, interaction with me every week for um, for the remain for the you know entirety of this class. So it's a really good um, way to be able to get kind of that expert help. But for this particular student, she isn't able to get any of that help during the week. And so she has a lot of questions and wanted to know. And unfortunately, because she is not a one-on-one -on -one client, I'm not able to be um, you know, answering specifically all of these questions for her or um, you know, kind of working with her in this one-on-one -on -one capacity. There's just not enough time. But I am able to you know, shoot her off some, some general um, answers to these questions. And I thought a lot of these would apply to you guys as well. And so I figured I would go ahead and um, read some of the questions that she's asked and then respond here. Number one, because I'm probably going to be able to give her more in-depth answers than what I was able to give her through the messaging. But then also that I thought it would help maybe you guys who are newer to this lifestyle and are trying to figure out like the, some of the same questions that she had. So um, I'll start off by kind of reading parts of this and then I'll answer the questions and then read the rest. So it says, um, hi Jessica, I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning for about a month or so now. I also have been watching the recorded webinars on Wednesdays as I am in school and um, cannot attend the live classes. I think the information you provide is awesome and I enjoy listening and learning. However, I have multiple questions about the info I have received. First and foremost, with all the information you are providing on the webinars and in your podcast, where do you recommend that I start for my overall lifestyle? Obviously, it can be quite costly when trying to change your lifestyle. I read your comment on Facebook in regards to water filters, which are definitely costly, as well as listen to your podcast in regards to supplements and products used in your home. That being said, I could really use some help in prioritizing which changes to make immediately and how to go about them and which changes can wait a bit. So I thought this was a really good question when you're starting this lifestyle because it can get overwhelming and you hear all of these things from myself included about all of these um, different things that you can do that you can change up and different thing, products you can use and, and things you need to eliminate and all of this stuff. And it can be like, okay, great. Well, I, you know, you're running up this tally of this bill in your head and you're like, well, where do I start? Because I can't just plop down $2,000 and all this stuff. Like I need to maybe bite it off in chunks, um, like what's most important. So I totally get that. And one of the things she's referring to is in my insiders group, which is a, uh, is a private Facebook group that is only for people that are um, either one-on-one -on -one clients of mine, either have been or are currently, uh, or have attended a class either in person or now online. And um, then you are able to join that insiders group. And so I respond personally to all of the questions that come into that group. And then we also have um, other people, obviously, are part of the group. So we get the interaction among some of the um, other members. So it's really cool. But one of the questions 
questions that one of those members had asked was about water filtration and what is the best thing to filter your water with. And I had responded that most of the filters like Brita and Pure and those things that you can like get in your department store, um, either in the form of where you can screw them onto your tap or the uh, pitcher, you can get the water pitchers, that they really are doing very little more than just helping your water to taste better. Um, they Sometimes some of them will remove some of the chlorine, so that's an improvement because chlorine um, is directly in competition with iodine um, and it will deplete you of iodine in your body, which is super important for thyroid health. And I don't think that that's a coincidence as to why we have so many issues with thyroid health um, in today's day and age. There's a lot of things that contribute to that, but um, drinking of chlorinated tap water definitely is affecting that. Um, fluoride also affects that, affects your ability to be able to absorb the iodine so that's also an issue. And um, we have fluorinated and chlorinated drinking water in most municipalities. So, um, so I think water filtration is a really big deal. Um, if you can't uh, do a whole home filter, which is what I would recommend because I know they can be expensive. Um, we have one in our personal home and we also have them in our rental properties. Um, our vacation rentals and the what we have the aquasana in home filters uh, whole home filters and they're about a thousand dollars to about twelve hundred dollars you can get them on sale sometimes they run sales often um, but that's about how much they are to buy the unit and then you have to have them installed now if you're pretty handy you could probably install it yourself but we did pay um, plumbers to install ours and so I think all in all, installation in the product itself probably cost us about $2,000. Um, so I understand that that can be a lot of money for a lot of people and that is out of range for someone, um, for some people. And, that, and I understand that. And um, there's no shame in that, that's totally fine. So um, it, I would though recommend, if at all possible, to get the whole home filter. The reason why is, not only are you drinking the water, so and it, it makes it so nice because you can literally drink out of any tap in your home and you don't have to worry about it. You know that it's removing, it's removing the chlorine, the fluoride. Um, it removes um, all the impurities in the water. It removes almost all of the heavy metals, which is another thing you have to be very careful with in, in municipal water supplies. And maybe the most um, important thing that I can see in today's water is that we are getting pharmaceutical drugs and hormones through the water. And that's really a major issue today, um, having those things in our water. It's, it's terrible for our kids. It's terrible for, for us. Um, I mean, we've got men that are getting lots of extra estrogen, um, through the hormones in the water supply. We've got, um, estrogen dominance is out of control. Um, it is just at an all-time high right now in women across the board. Um, so, you know, a lot of that is due to, you know, different um, 
phthalates, different plastics, issues with plastics that are um, endocrine mimicking in our bodies. So our bodies are recognizing some of these things um, as hormones, even though they're not, um, but they're mimicking that. So our bodies think that they are, but then another way, another huge source and a way that we're getting these hormones is through our water supply. And drinking the water is not the only way that we're getting it. We also get it from showering. So think about when you jump in a shower and you're taking a shower and you've got that water that's turned up. Most of us like a hot shower, right? And so we've got all that steam in the shower. So what do you think's happening as that steam is evaporating and we are breathing that in? All of those chemicals are then being breathed into our body, not to mention the fact that our skin is very porous and anything that we're using on our skin, including the water, is a portion of that is being absorbed. Um, that's why there are so many different medications that can be rubbed on the skin because that's a great way to be able to get those medications into your body uh, is sublingually, or I'm sorry, not sublingually, that would be via your mouth, um, but through the skin. So we need to um, just be thinking about that and just realizing that if you can, if that's something that's within your means to buy or if it's something that you could save for, um, it's a really worthwhile thing to get. The second best way to filter your water would be to go through a similar company. So Aquasana is one that also um, offers these other options and there are other companies out there that um, do this as well but and I am not affiliated with Aquasana in any way shape or form I just have their water filters and I'm very happy with them and with the quality of the water um, and what they do some filters are you know don't filter out all of the things that Aquasana does and I like they offer the carbon fiber filters as well as the um, UV light so my water runs through the carbon and through these UV lights so anything that they um, carbon is not taking care of the UV light takes care of a lot of those things as well including killing bacteria and whatnot so it's a, just a really good system um, but one of the next best thing would be you can get through that company and others you can get ones that screw onto your tap uh, and like in your kitchen or all of your bathrooms if you wanted and you can also get them that will um, screw onto your shower so you can actually filter your water in your shower without filtering the whole home so that's another option that you could do so maybe you could put it on put one on your your kitchen faucet and then put one on your um, shower faucet and that would be very very helpful i should say each shower faucet so if you have multiple showers you would want to put one on each shower um, so it's filtering each shower. So those are options. There are also um, under-the-counter ones that you can just install at the sink, like in your kitchen sink, and it will filter the water that comes through that, that instead of putting the one on the faucet. So there's options to do that. But, you know, filtering any water is better than no filter at all. But just be really um, diligent and kind of researching like what do they actually claim that they are filtering out as you really, really want to be able to filter as many of these things as you can, but paying really special attention to the pharmaceuticals that are in your water and chlorine and fluoride because those are 
um, really messing with our endocrine system um, and our and specifically our thyroid, which is our master, um, you know, metabolic regulator. Um, and that gland is responsible for um, regulating your meta your, your metabolism. So if you're having a hard time uh, losing weight or you know making any progress, maybe you're in this lifestyle and you cannot understand why everybody else is losing weight. Um, this is a subject that we're going to talk about um, next week in our in my online class but um, detoxification is huge and one of the major areas to start with is filtering your water um, and because this is something that if you are heavily toxic um, you're going to have a really hard time losing weight not just because your body is you know your liver is going to be putting these things in your fat stores because that is the only place that can go with it sometimes um, is to store these things away in your fat so not only will your body be protective of those fat stores not wanting to let them go and and expose you to those chemicals um, but also because of the damage that is being done to your thyroid through some of these chemicals found like in our drinking water um, and then foods we eat and stuff like that it's um, you know it really can do a number on your metabolism so you're kind of getting a double whammy um, not only is your metabolism slowing down because your thyroid is not um, you know your, maybe your iodine levels are suffering and you can't get the um, you know the, the right amount of iodine that your thyroid needs and so it begins to downregulate. and then in addition you you've got extra fat stores because your body is trying to store those away and keep you out of harm so Definitely something worth thinking about, worth really trying to figure out if there's a way that you can, um, you know, do these things for your family and, and for your home, for your health. So, um, so I would definitely say that is one that I would totally start with um, for sure. She also mentions the products used in the home. Again, I think this is a huge place that we get a lot of toxic chemicals. And um, so like if you have air fresheners in your home, like Glade plugins and stuff, I used to love those and I love having a fresh smelling home, but do yourself a favor and get rid of them. Um, they, you're literally just letting those chemicals constantly be um, being, uh, you know, through your air. They're just floating through your air and they're constantly being emitted from these little things and they're just they're not good for you a great alternative is to use essential oils and uh, I happen to like doTERRA I don't sell them again I'm not affiliated with them in any way but I really like that brand I've been using them for years they have some really great blends that smell phenomenal one of my favorite is called cheer uh, C-H-E-E-R and it's just a blend of essential oils but it smells so fresh and clean and I love it um, you can use that in diffusers in your home and that is a great way to keep your house smelling good and it also is so good for there's so many benefits it can boost your immunity it can help you with stress so many different things help you with detoxification so um, using essential oils have many many benefits and uh, for cleaning supplies, same deal. I use essential oils. Uh, doTERRA has one called On Guard that you can actually buy. It's a concentrated uh, cleaning solution. And I just put a little bit of it with water and I put it in a spray bottle. And that is what I use to spray down my kitchen and bathrooms and everything like that um, on a daily basis. And that is a really good way to help um, with keeping you know, kind of keeping the germ balance good and uh, actually 
keeping repopulating the good guys and getting rid of the bad guys. They also have a blend called Purity, which you can also mix with uh, water or vinegar and clean with that as well. And then really just using good old water and vinegar is fine. Like using that on your floors, if you have hardwood floors or linoleum floors or tile floors, just using water and vinegar mixture is a great way to clean without all the added chemicals that you don't want to be breathing in and you don't want to have on your skin or in contact with the surfaces that your food is going to touch, those type of things. So I think those are really easy things to do. Um, they're really easy ways to get used to um, as well. Like I really don't miss buying all the chemicals at the grocery store to clean my home and do all that stuff. So I think those are easy things that you can do. Um, same with shampoos and body washes. This is another area where we get a lot of um, phthalates and a lot of things that we do not want to have um, where they're soaking into our skin, these chemicals. And so, um, and then again, that we're in the hot shower using these things. And so then we're breathing in the fumes, the, the evaporation of these through steam. So we want to eliminate them as much of the personal care products that have these chemicals as possible. So I started doing this a few years ago and it has made such a difference in the health of my skin and my hair and um, you know, I just my overall health, like I feel better. Um, so you can switch to products like Dr. Bronner's is a good one um, for like body wash and things like that. Um, he they have like all in like all two in one washes and all all in one wash and all this kind of stuff. Like so, shampoo, body wash. Um, hand soap it's a good way to to use it as well so just watch for things that don't um don't contain parabens and um and are made with natural ingredients you don't want to have things that have a bunch of chemical names that you can't you can't um pronounce um beauty counter is a great alternative for makeups and creams and all this type of thing for face wash and lotions and eye masks and all that stuff. I love to use Peaches skincare. Um, they're local here in Cincinnati and they also have a shop in um, California. They, I believe they started in, I want to say it's Santa Barbara. So you can go online though and look them up, Peaches skincare. I think it might be peachesskincare.com, but you can just Google that and uh, you can actually order their products online. And that is the only thing that I use other than an occasional beauty counter product um, as far as face wash and lotion and that type of thing. And then I love Sally B's um, makeup line. So I don't wear like any kind of foundation or anything like that, but they have a, a face powder and I like to use um, that face powder. And, um, you know, if I'm going to go out or do whatever, I'll, you know, put on a little bit of face powder. They have blush, a little bit of blush. And, um, I do love my mascara. I can't get away from that. So, um, but they pretty much have everything. So you can, you know, and there's other companies again, there's another one called hundred percent pure. I like their products as well. Um, primally pure is another good one. So there's lots of companies out there. You can kind of, um, search for those and a great way to know if your cleaning products or your personal care products are good to use. And if they're free of all these chemicals, 
samples because it can be confusing and you can be like, man, I, I don't even know what some of these products are. They sound like chemicals, but I'm not sure because sometimes there are things that sound like chemicals and they're actually not. So, um, or they're not bad for you. So um, a great way to do that is going to ewg.org. It's the Environmental Working Group. Um, they also have a app, which I forget what it's called. Let me see if I can find it here on my phone. Um, they have an app that you can download as well. And um, then you can just scan the products right on your phone or you can do a search for the products. And they have so many different products in there and it'll give you a rating on them. Like if they're something that you, you know, like uh, I think I get scale of one to 10 or whatever. And it tells you like, if it's something that you should be using or if it's something you should stay away from um, and like kind of how it, um, you know, how it ranks. So their app is called Healthy Living and it's powered by Skin Deep and that's the Environmental Working Group app. So um, you can download Healthy Living and that is free. So that's another really good way to do that. So, okay. So she says, um, that being said, I could really help um, prioritizing the changes. Okay, so hopefully that gave you an idea of some ways to prioritize. Okay, so um, on to the next question here that she has. She says, also with the podcast, should I start with the most current and work my way backwards? I feel like I'm missing information by starting with the first episode and working my way up. Do you recommend certain ones for someone like me who is just coming across your podcast? Um, I don't um, recommend uh, specific ones. To be honest, I'm kind of embarrassed of most of uh, the first 50 or so. I just, it's, you know, it's really hard to start a podcast, to, to be totally honest, or at least it is for me. It was for me. Um, it's hard to get comfortable talking into a microphone. I don't even know that I'm still 100% comfortable, but you you get tongue tied a lot. You have, I have thoughts that come to my head and then, you know, I want to remember them to talk about it and then I forget about it. Or, you know, you want to talk about something and you forget to what the name of it is, or there's all these different things. It's, it's really hard to get into a rhythm. So, um, I think there's a lot of good information in some of the first episodes, but, um, if you can just kind of wade through, the not so good parts <laughs> and there's some good information in there um i feel like i probably should go back and revisit some of those topics and do some like updates on those topics now but i guess um you know they're not done in any kind of specific chronological order or anything so really just you know i would suggest listening to just whatever is interesting to you like everybody's at a different place on their journey and everybody struggles in different areas so maybe there's areas that you struggle with uh, a little more than someone else might and so those are the podcasts that i would listen to um you know if there's specific things that you're interested in learning more about um, i try to put those in the titles so that you can learn that way and maybe the best way to learn is by listening to some of the other experts that i have on an interview um, listening to some other people's point of views and taking little nuggets from what they say might be another great way to do it um, okay, she says also in regards to finding a functional medicine practitioner, I have one in my area that was recommended to me, but I wasn't sure exactly what to look for when choosing one. Additionally, what questions should I ask in my first visit? Okay, this is really highly individual. Um, I really can't tell you who to use you know, or how to go by, about finding the one to use. I think it really has to be who you click with. Like, 
you know, for functional medicine practitioners, not all of them are created equal. I mean, they, um, you can do different programs um, to become a functional medicine practitioner. You um, may have different philosophies on nutrition and lifestyle. So I think you really, um, first you need to find someone that you, that you resonate with. Like, is their message one that you resonate with? So maybe search functional medicine practitioners or naturopaths would be another way to go in your area. And just try to find out like ones that kind of line up with what you agree with. Um, and then I would talk to them, like try to speak to them on the phone before you meet with them or see if they offer an introductory, um, where you can just like sit down and talk to them about, you know, how they run. Everybody does it differently on how they charge. So most insurances are not going to cover your functional medicine practitioners. Some of them will cover naturopaths. Um, but finding out like, how do they accept payment? You know, do they work on a payment plan? Do you need to buy a package? Is it a, uh, you know, charge by the visit? Is it a charge by a certain amount of time? So find out those things, you know, what fits your budget and, um, see if you can have a meeting with them where you can sit down and see if they're able to help you with your goals and, and what you're looking to achieve and, uh, how they will work with you. You know, you could go sit down and talk to somebody and find out, I really just don't click with this person. I, I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they talk to me. I don't like the information, you know, whatever the case is. And that's okay. Everybody is not for everybody. So, um, that would be my suggestion as to how to find someone that's right for you. And, um, then I would ask them questions like what is their philosophy around nutrition and lifestyle? You know, how do they feel about testing? You know, are they, someone who wants to just run every single test available out there or would they rather you know is there a couple of big ones that they do and then they want to just see what that reveals and if maybe you should then do more specialized testing after you reveal what those have what those show um do they prefer to just talk to you and see what symptoms and signs you're having and then work from a sign and symptom perspective um, because, you know, most of us that are in this kind of natural um, and preventative healthcare realm um, and nutrition realm, you know, we learn part of our training and it's the same with a functional medicine practitioner is signs and symptoms and like recognizing those and um, kind of being able to treat the whole person um, as a system, as an entire system, an entire being rather than um, you know, running all these different tests for all these different things and then treating each individual area individually. Um, you know, we don't work that way. Our bodies work together. All of our systems work together. So making sure that you are finding a doctor or a functional medicine practitioner that, you know, that is going to um, fall in line with how you feel about that. Now, maybe you're a person that loves to test and you want them to just throw every single test at you and you don't care if it's going to cost you three or $4,000 to run all those tests. Um, then that's fine. Then go with that practitioner. So just finding those things out, I think are also super important. Um, if you're a person who's not really into taking a bunch of supplements or you don't want to spend the money on a bunch of supplements, you need to find that out up front because there are a lot of FMPs and a lot of naturopaths that might be like, oh yeah, we're going to supplement you out of this versus someone that says, no, I, I really want to look at nutrition to help you get to where you need to be and we'll supplement what we really have to. 
Um, so all of those questions as well. And that kind of goes back to um, actually her question in the beginning. She did ask about supplements and I didn't really touch on that. Um, and, and I think that, that where that, I think there are some areas specifically digestion related where supplementing can be really super duper helpful. Um, well, let me say a digestion and probably adrenal health are like the two that I would, um, be really apt to have somebody supplement in the beginning, because sometimes if you, you know, if you don't supplement it's really difficult to get the digestion going well. It's like the cart before the horse, you know, which if your digestion's not working well, then it's really hard to be able to get the things that you need out of your food in order to begin to improve your digestion because you need those specific vitamins or minerals, but you're not able to actually glean them out of what you're eating because digestion's not working properly. So if you're able to supplement for a little while and get that back on track, then um, then maybe you can stop the supplements and then just using nutrition is a good way to go about it. So um, in the beginning, there are some nuances at that supplements, I think, need, you know, very possibly need to be implemented, but in generally, generally speaking, I wouldn't go to supplements as the very first thing. If, if you're just looking at changes you can make, I would look at, like I said, watching to get all the chemicals and the, you know, the, the toxins out of your life as much as possible and let your body begin to, um, kind of right side itself. You know, your liver is just so burdened every day with so much. And there's so many things that we cannot eliminate. Like you cannot eliminate the air that you breathe and toxins are everywhere, um, including the air that you breathe. So there are some things that you just can't get away from, but eliminating as many as you can to um, alleviate that pressure from your liver. And that can help to be able to then start getting other things in order in your body once your liver is able to take that burden away. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Um, so anyway, okay, so uh, that would be my take on functional medicine practitioners and how you could um, kind of look at moving forward with them. Then she says, in regards to tracking food, I often find that this stresses me out because I can get super OCD about measurements and ensuring I am tracking everything. I know you mentioned in your webinar that just journaling can help as it brings awareness to what we are eating. And I have started journaling, but worry that I am not about not ensuring I am keeping the keto macros. What would you recommend in regards to this? Okay, so here's my take on this. I think that if you definitely, if you get, um, you know, very obsessive and compulsive about tracking and measuring things and all of that, then I would not, I definitely think it's the right idea to then not measure and not track. Like you need to step away from that because that, um, you know, I don't want somebody to become obsessed about that and compulsive about that. I think one of the beautiful things about keto is it can move you to much more intuitive eating and where you're not obsessing about that thing, those things, you know, um, there's so much, um, there's, there's so much disordered eating going on and, and it can often manifest from, or it can morph from disordered eating and the form of anorexia or bulimia or binge eating to then, or, or restriction to then when we move into like the keto lifestyle, then it can, it can morph into instead of those things, maybe now you're 
you're like obsessed with measuring everything or with counting every macro or every calorie or, um, you know, like just changing the obsession, changing the addiction of that obsession to like this new, this new thing that you can latch onto and obsess about. And, and I don't want to see people doing that. The keto can be so freeing of this uh, hold that food can have on us, whether it's, whether you're fearful of food or whether you obsess over food or, you know, whatever it is that it has a hold on. So many of us, myself included, have lived a lifetime of, of food obsession in one form or another. And so, um, I definitely don't want to see that happening to those of you that are trying to do this keto lifestyle. So I want to say that first and foremost. Secondly, I do think that yes, journaling what you're eating can be really helpful. Um, and the way I like to do it, like I, I offer a free workbook that you can sign up for on my website. Um, uh, if you go to jessicatai.com, you can find the link and click on that and it'll take you to where you sign up for that. Or if you go to thatketoblonde.com, that is the uh, page that'll let you sign up for that. But the workbook that I offer um, is a is a workbook to for you to help keep track of your your new lifestyle and one of the things in that workbook is um, is to journal like I want you to be able to journal your journey so that you can write down things like what you're grateful for and um, things that are changing in your body and the food that you're eating and, and noticing how it makes you feel and things that are happening after you eat certain foods. Because I think once we are aware of how food is affecting us, then we can make changes. Like we can either say, oh, I don't like the effects this is having on me. And so I don't want to eat that anymore. Or you can say, wow, look at this effect that eating this way is doing. I want more of that. Like I want to keep doing that. And so it's just a good way to track and like reinforce what you're doing. So I think that journaling can be really good for that reason and uh, kind of keeping uh, keeping uh, tabs on yourself, if you will. It's kind of becomes your own coach where you're able to um, write these things and kind of keep yourself accountable. So I think that's really, really good. When we come to the macros, in the beginning, I do, if it's not an issue for you, I do like people to track macros because um, it helps us really become aware of what's in the food that we're eating because it's one thing to tell you to lower your carbohydrates or your sugars. And then it's a whole nother thing for you to be able to understand where those things are even even coming from in your diet. So, um, I mean, we know the obvious ones, right? Most of us know, oh, carbs, that's bread, pasta, rice, you know, okay, we get that. But then when it gets... Um, down to the more nuanced stuff, like we are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know avocados had that many carbs. You mean I can't just eat 16 avocados a day? You know, so it's like understanding those things I think are important um, in that context. But I think it's much less important about whether or not you're hitting the macros for the sake of hitting the macros. So this is where I don't want people to become obsessed with that. Like, well, I, I need to have 20% of my intake daily coming from protein. So I have to make sure I hit that 20% daily. I would say it's more of a guideline 
and then you input your food into these trackers, you're able to see how much you're actually getting, you're able to then troubleshoot if something's not working for you, like maybe you're not feeling good or you're not losing weight or you start testing and you're not in ketosis and you're trying to figure out like, well, why am I not in ketosis? I'm, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. Well, if you know what your macros are and you can tweak those, then that can help you figure out that maybe instead of, um, you know, 50 net or 50 total carbs a day, you really need to be at 30 total carbs a day or 20 total carbs a day, whatever those numbers are. And that can change. In the beginning, you may need to keep your carbs very low and then you may be able to add some back in once you get more metabolic flexibility. But tracking will help you understand that. So that's what I like tracking for. Now, I also wanna say that if you like this lifestyle and you like the idea of fat for fuel and lower carb and lowering your blood glucose and lowering your insulin um, production and all of that, that does not mean that you have to be in ketosis. So knowing the difference between being fat burner and fat fueled and being in ketosis and producing ketones is big because they're two different things. If you are not that concerned with producing ketones regularly or being in nutritional ketosis and you're just like, you know what, I just want to lose weight, I just want to feel better, I want to have more energy, I just want to use fat for fuel, I just want to lower my carbs, I know this is bad, my blood sugars are high, you know, whatever the case is, then you don't have to track anything. That's totally fine. You can just eat lower carb or low carb and up your fat and find what works for you. And I think journaling this is a really good way to find that out. Um, learn when you're, you know, when you're eating certain foods, how do you feel? When you're eating higher amounts of fat, does that feel better? Or does it feel better to restrict your fat a little bit more and just make sure you're keeping your carbs super low? Like figure those things out. If you eat a little more protein, do you feel better or do you feel better eating a little less protein? So doing those types of things are good and you don't have to track for ketones to know those things. Like that's just figuring out what works for you and how you feel good eating. It doesn't mean you have to be in ketosis. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, quote unquote keto. Um, and there are no keto foods. Like there's just food and it's what foods put you into ketosis versus what will not have you be in ketosis. Um, so figure out what is your goal. Um, and if your goal is to be in ketosis, the only way to know that for sure is to test. And the only way to be able to stay there and, and keep, your num keep yourself in ketosis may be to track um, your macros. That may be the only way you're able to do it. So you'll have to kind of figure that out. Additionally, she says, I have the keto urine strips and plan to purchase the keto blood uh, glucose tester, but for now with the urine strips, what is the recommended range to determine whether or not I am in ketosis and when is the best time to test? So with the urine strips, there is really no best time to test, honestly, um, and there's no, uh, there's no range specifically. Uh, it depends on the brand you're using and you will just use the container that they came in and it will tell you, it gives you a, a range, a color range on the container and that's what you will compare it to to see. There is no way to determine if you are actually in nutritional ketosis or not by those strips. Um, 
I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'm not a huge fan of them. If you want to use them in the first few weeks, um, I did, and it's fine. It is exciting when you start getting those readings, but keep in mind that there are so many things that can affect those. It can tell you that you're producing ketones and you're really not. Um, if you're dehydrated, it'll give you a high ketone reading, and that does not mean that you are even producing them. Um, it can give you a, a trace or tell you that you're not producing any when you, in fact, are producing ketones. I have gotten trace amounts. Uh, you know, it said that I only have a trace amount of ketones on those urine strips, and I am at, you know, two millimole on my blood meter, which is well into nutritional ketosis. So um, I just don't want to see you put a lot of stock into using those urine strips at all. You'd be much better off to save your money and put it toward buying a ketone meter and ketone strips than wasting your time with the urine strips, honestly. Um, and they are not gonna work for you after the first few weeks. So if you've been at this for any amount of time at all, don't even bother with the urine strips. They're just not gonna give you a good reading. Um, okay, and then she says, I have heard you talk about oil pulling a number of times and have done it twice, both with liquid coconut oil. I wasn't sure, however, if doing this with oil, if I should be doing this with oil that is hardened. I tried it once, the texture immediately made me want to gag and almost throw up. Does, uh, does it need to be the hardened version? Is it, and if it does, is it okay to melt it in the microwave first? Yes, you can, but I would be very careful doing that because it'll be hot. Um, it could be hot. It could have hot pockets in there, not the hot pockets that you eat, but hot pockets within the oil if you've melted it in the hot in the oven, microwave oven. So I would be very careful doing that. Um, you know, I feel like it's something you get used to. I just take a spoon of it out of the coconut oil container, you know, the hardened version, and just kind of start by like chewing it, and then it will melt. It melts very quickly. At, in your mouth, obviously, your mouth is very warm, so it will melt very quickly. And then you can begin um, swishing it around. I don't think that there's any issue with using the coconut oil that is already liquid form. Um, the only exception is, is that that is usually a lot more expensive per ounce to buy it that way. So um, I hate to see you, you know, spend that and then you're just using it to oil pull and then spit it out in the trash can. So, um, so I think that, and I do have the, the, the liquid version I use for cooking and stuff um, or to add oil into um, baked goods and whatnot. <clears throat> so I don't have any kind of problem with using the liquid coconut oil. It just, it is more expensive. So um, if you can figure out a way to like, just get used to the texture of the coconut oil when you put it in in, in the beginning and then it, it literally within seconds it melts. So. Okay, so there's that. And then she says, um, I also have read your comment on Facebook about drinking bulletproof coffee every day long term. So what she's referring to again in the group is we had talked about bulletproof coffee and whether or not you should do that long term, especially for women. Um, she says, I'm new to this healthy lifestyle journey and I am cur currently drinking one bulletproof coffee, 15 ounces of black coffee with one tablespoon of butter and one tablespoon of MCT oil a day in place of breakfast as I am not really a breakfast eater, which I think that is perfectly fine. No problem. I heard on your podcast, episode 16, I believe that you should switch up your intermittent fasting and think that even if I switched to black coffee, I would end up fasting at the same times each day. What would your suggestions be in regards to this? Okay, totally agree with us. You can, I believe very, very strongly, and there is now research coming out. There's several um, papers written and, and lots of, of studies coming out actually about 
um, about this. And it, it relates to your body is constantly um, fighting to find your set point, right? Or to get at its set point. And once homeostasis, it's going to, um, you know, if, if you're not, like if you're doing the same routine day in and day out, whether that's working out or eating or whatever, your body is going to adapt to that. And it will change and, and regulate to adapt to those conditions. So it's it's why you need to change your workouts up regularly, you know, so your body doesn't adapt and then it gets too easy and it's, you know, it no longer is having the same effects. It's the same thing when it comes to eating. So you don't want, I mean, even if you eat the exact same food all the time, your body can actually become intolerant of that food. Like it will actually start producing, um, you know, antibodies or a reaction to eating those same foods all the time. Like you can become intolerant to things. So it's really important that we change things up, especially when we're trying to make changes in our body. So if you're trying to lose weight, for instance, or you're trying to speed up your metabolism, you're trying to um, get things moving, you're trying to upregulate that stuff, you don't want to fast every single morning, every day. Like, because your body is going to be like, oh, I know we're not going to get food between the hours of 6 p.m. and um, 1 p.m. the next day. So we're going to downrate the metabol, downregulate the metabolism so that we're conserving energy during that time because we're not going to get any energy isn't going to be coming in. And so um, we're just going to slow everything down during that time. Um, and I think it's really, we got to remember that there, the, the thermogenic effect of eating and, and of digesting and burning this food. So, um, that also plays in with your metabolic rate and how that fluctuates. So my, the way I have done it and the way I do it, I see it work clinically. And what I always suggest with my clients is that you change your fasting window and you don't have to change it every single day, but I would definitely change it at least every seven days. I would not do a solid week of the same thing all the time. And really, I think if you change it more often than not, you will see better results. So what I would suggest in this case is if you're enjoying drinking the Bulletproof coffee every morning for breakfast, that's great. Then um, maybe what I would do is Instead of having it, if she also said she's not a, a necessarily a breakfast person, and I think that's totally fine. You don't have to be a breakfast person early in the morning. Um, you can break your fast anytime. So if you are more hungry at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. Or, or 1 p.m., then that's fine. Just eat your breakfast then. And it can be whatever you want to break your fast with, whatever food that is. So maybe if you enjoy the Bulletproof coffees, uh, maybe you have bulletproof coffee two or three mornings a week, and then on the other mornings you don't have any, uh, you don't have anything to eat. You're just drinking black coffee, and that's fine. Then you've taken care of the fact that you're really not a morning person. You're not really in the mood to eat, but the bulletproof coffee is fine. And then that takes care of making sure that you actually are getting the calories in, and you, you know, in the morning, and you, your body is recognizing that you're getting fuel, and so you're not fasting every single day in the same way. Um, the other option would be to maybe have bulletproof coffee once or twice a week and then fast once or twice a week and then have breakfast uh, with food earlier once or twice a week. So um, for instance, I have a big breakfast uh, with my family pretty much every Saturday and Sunday morning. 
like, well, I shouldn't say Sunday. It is every Saturday for sure and about every other Sunday. So it just depends on, you know, if we go out to eat before or after church or, you know, how that works out. But um, but sa- Saturday mornings, it's a big deal to us to get up and make bacon and eggs and sausage. And we'll usually make like a keto pancake or waffle or cinnamon roll or something like that, that all of our kids enjoy. And that's our big breakfast. It's our family tradition every weekend. So I know that every Saturday I'm going to be getting that big breakfast. And typically throughout the week, I don't eat breakfast. Like it's three o'clock as I'm recording this today and I have not eaten yet. I've had water and I've had black coffee and I'm not hungry. And so I probably will not have anything to eat until dinner tonight. So I will have one meal today. Now, the tricky part is I am going to be very low on calories tonight because there's no way that I'm going to get in my needed calories for today. Um, you know, I typically eat about 24, 2,500 calories a day. I'm not going to get that in. There's no way. So, um, but that's okay. It's okay to be, be in a calorie deficit every now and then, like less than your metabolic rate is, but you just don't want to do that all the time because then your body is going to start recognizing that, Hey, we are in a famine. She's not getting enough calories. We can't fuel ourselves. And that's when you run into problems and that's when your metabolism will downregulate. So for me, I know today I will be light on calories. I don't know how many I'll get in. I don't know. I don't track anymore. But um, tomorrow I will make an effort to make sure that I get in more food tomorrow. So when I get up in the morning, I may eat breakfast just to make sure that I get in enough calories because I, I can eat a lot of calories for breakfast. I love bacon and eggs and avocado and all of that. And I love those foods in the morning. So that might be a good way for me to do it. So just... Think about how you're going to eat um, and and just this is kind of where the journaling comes in really handy because when you're learning all of this stuff, you you know, I don't have to write this stuff down and, and I'm explaining it to you, but I don't actually, I don't think about it in this way. Like I just know that I haven't eaten today, which I didn't even really think about until I just said it to you guys. And then I know we'll have dinner tonight. I mean, because I know we have plans to take our kids out. Um, for a special family dinner. So we're going to be doing that. So I know I'll have a, a nice dinner. And then I will just be thinking tomorrow, it'll just come naturally to think, oh, I, I definitely need to make sure I'm getting enough calories today because I was a little bit light yesterday. And then I will just make sure I do that. So as you um, kind of get into this lifestyle and you get better and better and just more, it just becomes more habit and you just start knowing these things and you just start doing it intuitively. Um so, okay, I know that was a lot. I feel like I'm so long-winded today with these questions, but they're so, they're so nuanced. And this is why if I'm not working with you one-on-one as an actual one-on-one client, if I don't, you know, if I haven't done a nutritional assessment on you, if I, if I don't have your health history, if I, if I don't know all of your, you know, I don't have your food journal, I, your food logs, I don't know how you're exercising, how you're sleeping, how you're eating, what your day looks like. I really can't give you specific information on these things because I don't know all that information and all of that information plays into how I coach my individual clients. Um, there is no one size fits all. So I am, am very, um, specific about these things when we're one-on-one because I know all of those parameters, but when I don't know all those parameters, it's, it causes me to be very long-winded because there's so many different answers and there's so many ways to go about this and so many ways to look at it. So I hope that some of this is at least making sense and you can take like little tidbits out of this that fit you and are appropriate for your life. 
Um, okay, and then she says, lastly, I've been considering intermittent fasting, but I am a little confused about how to do it since you said it needs to be changed up due to our bodies adapting to our fasting schedule. And so I just talked about that. If I schedule my fasting to still keep a routine, but changed up the fasting times for certain days, would I also need to change it up every month or so? Also, what is the best way to begin with intermittent fasting? I'm thinking 16-8, maybe adding a 12-12 once I'm used to the 16-8 and completing a 24-hour fast from time to time. Does that sound about right? I would say yes. So um, to answer that question, maybe a little more specifically is I would, I think a 16-8 is great. So maybe you do a 16-8 today and a 16-8 tomorrow. And then maybe the next day you do, um, you know, uh, an, an 8-16. Maybe the next day, meaning eight hours of eating, 16 hours of fasting, uh, versus 16 hours of eating, eight hours of fasting, or maybe you do, um, like she said, 12 hours of fasting, 12 hours of eating. Um, maybe she does 20 hours of eating uh, with four hours of fasting, or four hours of fasting with 20 hours, or four hours of eating with 20 hours of fasting, which would be very good. Um, and then, yeah, throwing in a 24 hour fast. Um, so, what I will do, and, and you could do that every week, just make it different every day or every other day or every few days. Um, and if you're doing that, it's you don't need to worry about like monthly what it looks like. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that I would say monthly is I like to do one to two days um, a month at least. And usually I'll do that like every other week. Um, but just doing a, so a 24 to 48 hours, or usually I'll do a 24 to 72 hours, somewhere in there, uh, fast once a month would be great. So fasting one to three days of every month. Um, and that's really, really good for, there are so many benefits to that. Um, fasting really helps us with our human growth hormone, which continues to decline as we age. So especially for women that are, that are, you know, aging, it's thirties, forties, fifties, you know, we start, um, that starts declining. Uh, human growth hormone is super important for helping us with weight loss, um, and our, you know, just physical strength and, um, building muscle and doing all those types of things. So, so if, if you, if you fasted like a one to three day fast every other week, let's say, like I do, or I have instructed clients to fast like that um, once a week to do like a one to two day fast every week, um, specifically for clients that have issues with human growth hormone, um, which can be affected by if you have HP, um, HPA, which is your hypothalamus pituitary uh, adrenal axis. If you have HPA dysregulation, um, that can affect your human growth hormone production. And so um, I would definitely recommend to clients that have something like that going on to throw those intermittent, those longer intermittent fasts in a little more often because that can help you with your human and growth hormone production, which then can actually help to correct some of those imbalances and those um, access issues. Um, so, uh, so that is one way to look at it that you could definitely do. So, but again, so one to three days every other week or even just once a month is great. It also helps with cell autophagy, which is really good um, for long-term health, aging, things like that. 
All right. So, and then she says, um, sorry that this is a lot. I'm trying to gain all the knowledge I can and keep from failing or psyching myself out. Thank you for everything. I really enjoy your podcast and participating in your webinars. Um, I may have more questions going forward. So, um, that's it. So I hope that that helps you guys. Um, I hope that you learned some things through this podcast. Um, I know that it's a little bit long winded. Sometimes it's hard to listen to one person. Um, you know, like, myself, just sit here and just talk and ramble on and on. But um, I'm just really trying to help you guys and think of things that might be helpful to you in your journey and things that you might be coming up against. So um, again, if you guys are interested in getting more information or you want access to me um, in kind of a, it's a group setting, but on kind of one-on-one because you ask the questions on during the class and I answer them specifically um, during the class. Um, or you also are able to ask questions through our private Facebook group. If you're interested in joining those classes, you can join at any time. It's not too late. We are starting, uh, we're in week four. So tomorrow evening will be our fourth class. Um, that's Wednesday. Uh, what is the date today? I don't even know what the date is. (laughs) It is July 16th. So tomorrow will be Wednesday, July 17th. Classes are from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we will have a live fourth class, fourth week tomorrow. And uh, if you join, you do get all of the other classes have been recorded. So you will get to watch all of those and you'll be able to get caught up and then you participate in the live classes. And week seven will be, um, so it is actually a six week course, but week seven is just a Q&A. So I will um, answer any questions that anybody has for that hour. And um, so if you have specific questions, then we can attack all of those on that week seven as well. So I kind of wanted to give like a bonus Q&A week to the six week course. So week seven will be that bonus. Um, And then also when you're in the class, um, if you're part of the class, you have got, you'll get about a dozen PDFs um, from me that have some really great keto information in there, including um, my my cookbook. I have a, a cookbook that I have a PDF of that I will send you. And they are my recipes that I've been using and coming up with for the last two and a half years that I have been keto. And so um, I think that is really super helpful to people to have some some good recipes that you know are tried and true because I've made them myself and uh, they are kid tested and approved. <laughs> so um, so if you want to join that, you can head over to thatketoblonde.com forward slash classes, and you can get registered for that. Just fill out the form, and then you will get all the information on how to pay for it. They are only $47. That is the introductory rate for this first class. This was kind of like a beta class because I had not done this online before. And it has gone really, really well. So I definitely will be offering more classes in the future, but I don't think that I will be offering them at this price. So if this fits your budget and you're looking to get the information, don't hesitate. Go ahead and get signed up for those and you can get caught up. And uh, that's all I have for you guys this week. If you have um, any questions you want me to answer on the podcast coming up, 
feel free to shoot me an email, jessica at jessicatai.com. And um, I don't typically respond to those emails. I try to respond, but um, I'm often not able to respond to them more than just to tell you I'll answer them on the podcast. But you can stay tuned to the podcasts and um, you just might hear your questions answered on an upcoming podcast. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Until next week, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode. 